Hello, I'm Paul Briley, and you're listening to Off the Comma. I'm a human who cares about supporting other humans. On this podcast, we'll explore all facets of what it means to feel stuck in life. We talk with people just like us who have found themselves sitting on a comma and not knowing where to go next. We'll unpack the experience with them, where they've been stuck, what it feels like, what they experienced, and what they learned. My goal is to inspire you by seeing yourself in others. I believe that when we feel more connected and seen, magic can happen. I am so excited to have you here, Jude. I'm really excited today because you're my first guest from another country, which is super exciting. And obviously, you and I have some history, so that may come up during our conversation. But here we are talking this evening, your time, uh, this afternoon, my time, across a continent and an ocean. And look how technology has brought us together. So my guest today is Jude. And Jude, give us your full name and tell us how you would like to be known. Okay. So my name is Jude Mahn, M-A-H-O-N. So it's Irish, but we pronounce it the English way. So a bit strange. Mahn. To describe myself, how would I like to be known? I'm going to go with a seeker. Mm. That's a big thing. A seeker. I am forever curious. I am family orientated. It's a huge part of who I am. Mm. And I love to laugh. Okay. Those are powerful, very descriptive words. I love that. And I love like the way you describe yourself kind of leaves possibility on the table, seeking, curious, love to laugh, like all that. And and the other words that you use to describe yourself, like leaves like this pursuit of possibility is kind of what comes up for me. I don't know if that's accurate. Ah, Correct me where I'm wrong. No, I think I'm constantly in pursuit. But aren't we all? Right. Aren't we all? Yeah. And that's okay. I think that's what I've learned recently, that that is okay. When you are a seeker, you do not land. You never go, oh, here I am. This is what it all means. It's crazy, isn't it? Right? <laughs> like I, I've come across that recently as well. And it's like when you embrace being a seeker, you really do have to embrace incompleteness, right? Like it's the hunt. Totally. The hunt is the objective, not the capture, not the prize. What does that create for you? I know we're going to get into our traditional podcast questions Mm -hmm. here in a minute, but what does that create for you in your life? Being a seeker, being curious, the pursuit of it all. Oh, do you know what? It's created so much adventure. Mm. Because it's that thing of always then saying, yeah, I'm going to try that. I'm going to give that a go. This most bizarre thing has come across my path. I'm going to give it a go. Because the answer might lie there. Of course, there's no answer, but there is an experience that leads to a story. And I think that, Paul, is a major part of who I am. Mm. People who know me, I think if I drop dead, like that's the thing that would be said at my eulogy is I am a storyteller. Mm. And when I go into anything, being a seeker, I just think, you know what, even if this turns out horrendously, there's going to be a story I can tell. Yeah. It's not about the prize, it's a story. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Already, already, I'm walking away with some things to really kind of chew on and marinate about. What what else? Um, I I don't ask every guest to tell me what they do for a living or anything like that. So it's just an invitation only. In addition to the words that you use to describe yourself as a human being, what else might you like people to know about you? 
So I also work as a sign language interpreter, which is so interesting because they're not my words at all. As in, I am quiet. I listen to what someone else says and I put it into sign language. Or I watch someone sign and put it into English and my opinion is not on the table at all. I do sign language because my brother's deaf, one of my brothers. And I was the only one in the family that learned to sign because it's not like a, it's archaic sort of in Mm. the UK. The laws around sign language and when a deaf child is diagnosed and going through the school system years ago was you don't sign. So I learned to sign and it led me into a profession that is in desperate need over here. Like it's just this, uh, they try and snap up interpreters. There's so few of us. Um, mm. There's a lot of work available. There's deaf people now climbing major, major corporate ladders and smashing glass ceilings mm. and they need these interpreters. Mm. Um, but then I just feel that, you know, you are someone else's voice permanently and I've had to really take hold of that and do something about it. You you said some things that really landed on me is they're not my words at all and you have to be somebody else's voice completely. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's a that's a really it's a powerful place to be, but the way I painful. describe it, painful, right? Mm-hmm. Painful at times. Wonderful and painful. Yeah, the way I hear you describe it is there's great responsibility with that. You have to hold that very gently. Oh yeah. And it's such a huge skill. It's a highly skilled job. Mm. And there's such, you know, there's emotional fallout. There's some jobs that I just can't do mm-hmm. because being, being an, uh, an emotional person, I can quite easily fall apart because I am really feeling. So when someone, you know, someone the other day, the, the cost of living crisis at the moment here in the UK is just heartbreaking. And I had a deaf person who was struggling with food. It just couldn't, and she said, I'm hungry, you know, <laughs> my heart, I just thought, I just, I just don't know what to do with that. And that came out, that just came out of her trying to seek a solicitor. Yeah. You know, I was, I was facilitating her talking to a solicitor and her not being able to work because of something that had happened meant that this measly amount of money that she had, she couldn't get the yeah. food that she needed. And it's like, oh my God, my heart. So what I hear you say, and and Jude, I'll, I'll kind of set the tone here. Like as we talk and as the conversation unfolds, I might step in from time to time yeah, to, to really it, yeah. dig deeper on something. You said they're not my words at all, and I'm speaking for others completely. And, and they're not your words at all, and yet it can be hard to not let them become your words, right? Like it sounds like there's a lot of responsibility in there with keeping yourself neutral, even when. How can you, how can you stay neutral? How can there's, you stay there's neutral, the feeling really? and then there's the action. Like I can feel mm. everything that I felt, but I still have to choose not to react as a result of it. Yeah. And it's I just think if you've got an ounce of compassion, how can your job how can that kind of job not affect you? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I just it, it does affect you massively. Yeah. Um, I'm just, it is a, it's a, an amazing thing because it's taken me seriously. Sign language, being an interpreter, I do a lot of performance where I'm, um, in the play, in the, you know, in the show as a performance interpreter, as I have an acting background as well. Mm. And it's taken me all over the world. Mm. That's very you know? cool. Yeah. 
So it's been this amazing, like I would not have experienced, you know, this amazing life if it hadn't been for Simon. Well, I was just going to say, and that, that takes us down a path, right? Like in my coaching practice, one of the things I do with clients is there's the thing and there's the think, right? And when we find ourselves sitting on a comma with something, one of the exercises we can do is ask ourselves, is it the situation that needs to change the thing? Or mm -hmm. is it the way I think about it that needs to change, you know, the, the think, right? And, yeah. and so it's like life will present situations to us and we can look at situations and fundamentally say, that's not okay. The situation needs to change. And yet there can be situations like it with yours, with your brother, my brother's deaf. I can't do anything about that. I can't mm -hmm. fix that. And so then it's an opportunity for me to change how I think about it. And so Absolutely. the story you've already shared with us is one of reframe, right? And look at the things that can come from what people see as a bad situation if we allow ourselves to do it. Absolutely. You you said you're a storyteller, so I'm going to give you a chance to be a storyteller, right. right? So we're going to jump in. And just like with all of my guests, I have five core questions for you that are going to frame and give us a skeleton for the conversation. Okay. Obviously, there'll be a lot more questions along the way. And just kind of as a reminder, you and I haven't talked about your story. I intentionally choose not to screen or pre-select or even know about the stories because I want them to come out you know, completely organic. And so um, I just kind of share that for all the listeners, like not, none of this is rehearsed in any way, shape or form, and we're just going to have a conversation. So I'm going to start though with a, a different question. What is your intention for yourself for today? Oh, um, I mean, for me, it's connection. What do you mean by that? Like for us to connect, mm -hmm. like the simplicity of us having a conversation of connection, and then if someone else hears it and they feel something from that, then that's really lovely. And it sparks a thought, an idea, anything. And um, yeah. it's the ripple effect, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But ultimately, I mean, then you can start thinking, oh, well, who's listening? And it's not really about that. It's about our conversation right now. It's not like, oh, I'm here, Paul, to get something off my chest. It's not like that. Yeah. Well, and that that's your unique intention. And, and thank you for sharing that. My intention as it always is, is to create a space for you to be able to share a story that you feel needs to be shared, for that story to go out into the universe and touch and reach whomever it needs to, without us being attached to that as an outcome. Mm -hmm. And that as it was with my last interview, I also hope that someone who hears your story will treat themselves a little lighter as a result of something that they heard and in return, treat someone else a little bit lighter as well. But let's jump in. Let's go in with our first question, which is all about what we're the space we're creating here. Okay. Jude, where have you found yourself sitting on a comma in your life? Okay. So I would say that my biggest moment of sitting on a comma was in 2019 when my comma was just coasting. Mm-hmm. And I knew I wanted change. Like I was so desperate for change. By that point, I'd been living in London for 22 years. Oh, I was so done with it. I was so done with it. I was single. I was 40 as well. So none of the things that I expected. Mm. 40, single renting in London 
with absolutely no chance, absolutely zero chance of getting on the property ladder. Because if the property ladder is the big thing, that pressure, clearly not going to then have children that, you know, are from this big Catholic family, you know, seven children, mum, dad, 50 years married. And I didn't have any of it. Mm. And I was just sitting on my comma going, well, let's just carry on (laughs) doing what I'm doing. And I felt myself getting so uncomfortable. You know, when you think something will change in a minute, I just don't have to do anything about it. Something Mm. will come along. And when you sit on that fence, the fence can be a very painful place to sit. And you start, my body actually gets a little bit sick. You start getting ill with the Mm. dis-ease of your core being. You're not stretching yourself. And yeah, so on my 40th, I just thought, right, that's it. Sack it. I'm going and I'm going to go into ayahuasca. <laughs> so, okay. So. Well, I, I, before you take us into that part of the conversation, I want to I want to kind of reflect a little bit on what you've shared so far because you, so often people who are sitting on a comma, myself included, and I can only think about myself primarily, right, because of my own experience. But when we're sitting on a comma, and it and it feels the way you've described, right, mm. it feels uncomfortable or what have you. Our urge is to where's the answer? How do I get off? Where am I supposed to be? Where am I supposed to be going? Right. And that's okay. And what you're describing is like, you also were like, I may need to stay here for a minute. Right. Like you said, the way you described it, like you're sitting on this comma, which means I had expectations and I'm not living those expectations. So therefore I feel like I'm stuck and I'm going to let myself coast because I don't know where I'm supposed to go yet. I just no, I feel don't. stuck. I just wanted change. I just wanted out and I don't know exactly what from. I, it, was, it was painful. It was painful. What I think I'm hearing you say is this, this example of a time in your life when you were sitting on a comma was because you felt like you were supposed to be someplace else that you weren't. Yeah. I was meant to be feeling more than this. I was oh. meant to be more fulfilled more, you know, than this. Oh, it makes me feel heavy now just remembering it. Yeah. Well, I can see that. Obviously, we can see each other while we're recording. It's a natural segue into the second question, right? Because these two play together very closely. What did this create for you? You've already started talking a little bit about that. Tell more about what did this comma create for you? You have to look inside, like at yourself. And it creates a lot of fear. Am I doing what I really want to do? Can I do what, what? Can I do what I really want to do? What do I really want to do? Like, it's like, so you suddenly get all these questions. There's zero answers. So I, you know, going off to Brazil on my own, you know, it wasn't the answer. It wasn't at all. It was a great experience with great stories at Mm. the end of it. But did it give me the, I know, there we go. There's all the answers. We're right. drinking that liquid. Brilliant. Now I know. So no. tell, tell us about this. This is interesting. And I think there's going to be a lot of people who don't know what this is, what this means. And, and I interrupted you earlier when you started to tell us the story. Ayahuasca. I decided I was going to do ayahuasca. Yeah. So ayahuasca, they call it seven years of therapy in a night. And mm. it's two plants boiled together for, I think, 24 hours. And you drink a certain amount of it. And 
it taps into your subconscious and beyond. And it takes you what they call on a journey. And they call it uh, Mother Aya. Mm-hmm. It's female. And I, it came to me through a female voice. Mm-hmm. And you have visions. Most people do. I did. I'm going to talk about my, my experience of it. And I went to a retreat place, a retreat center to do it. And a female shaman. And it was beautifully held. There was people from all over the world. When I say people, it sounds like there's loads of us, but I think there was 15 of us. Mm-hmm. And we had four ceremonies, so four nights of drinking. And it takes you on a journey. But this is the thing though, right? This is, I'm someone, <laughs> I'm someone who's never even, like, I've not touched acid, right? So I just thought that I would shut my eyes and it'd be like, oh, dude, you should do this with your life. Show me a few pictures. Mm. And I'd be like, oh. And it might show me, do you remember when this bad thing happened? Like, oh, I don't want to see that. Well, it's all right. That's gone now. There we go. And if I saw something that I didn't like, I could open my eyes and I'd be back in the room. No, that is not how it works. <laughs> when we had to stand in a circle and she says, the shame when she says, remember, no matter how bad it gets, you will come back here. Mm. And everyone had their eyes shut and I kind of opened one eye. It's like, what? What? We, you can't get out in the mode. <laughs> <laughs> right. Wait, I, that wasn't on the brochure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, it was, I, I, they, they work out how much you can drink. So they ask how you respond to alcohol. Mm-hmm. So one woman was saying, oh, well, if I smell wine, you know, I'll, I'll pass out. You know, I'm such a lightweight. So they said, okay, let's start you with 20 mil, 10 mil. Okay. Came to me. I used to drink a lot. And so I said, explain that. So I got 50 mil. And everyone is worked out. One guy's like, bring it. I take cocaine. I'm like, <laughs> oh, just like so he's like, let's start you on 100 mil. And 100 mil didn't touch it. Um, well, actually, Jude, if I may, let me let me step yeah. back in here a minute because it's 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 you've got a lot to tell from the experience itself, right? And kind of, come, and kind of not. Yeah, but I want to I want to come back to because this could easily become like a, a whole promotional event for ayahuasca, right? <laughs> no, I'm um, not promoting it. Believe I, I'm I'm really curious. You chose this experience. You started telling us a little bit about this experience. What? When you were sitting on that comma feeling stuck, what prompted you to go and try this? Because this is one of thousands of options you could have pers- pursued to take a course of action, right? Like what what took you to that place? So this is the thing about ayahuasca is that they say it calls you. Mm-hmm. And it did. Like, so people started mentioning it around me. That's so weird. Ayahuasca, mm-hmm. like you said there, you know, people aren't going to know what it is. I'd heard about it 10 years ago and then suddenly it was everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I'm very much a person who believes in signs because mm-hmm. that's what seekers do. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I was working in a job and they said, does anybody want a ticket to go and see Russell Brand tonight? We've got spare tickets. He's doing this little stand up thing. So I went along. I was like, yeah, no one else was interested. And I went along. He mentions it. A throwaway comment. It's like sitting in the desert doing ayahuasca. Bang, done moved on to his next section. Mm. And I was like, everywhere I was going. So I just thought, 
That's this my must be the answer. So let me go and do it. And it wasn't. It wasn't the answer at all. I saw amazing things like uncanny, weird. Yeah, really strange. And I saw things that were really horrific as well and took mm. me a long time to get over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I met amazing people. I met amazing people. Yeah, and came back and I just still didn't know. I just, there was my comma waiting for me at the airport when I landed. Okay. So I just sat back on it and got back to my flat in London and it was just me and the comma curled up in bed. So you, so it's interesting, right? So you're, you're sitting on a comma, you're seeking, you're looking for signs, signs show up, you go and do the thing, you come back. Yeah. And, and you, things, you things aligned. Us. It was strange because I used to do stand up comedy and the ayahuasca really spoke to me about that and was very upset that she wanted to talk about it because it's something that I've fought with of not being good enough of it's a real battle within me. And when I, she said, you know, you took, you gave yourself too much pressure, but you have mm-hmm. to go somewhere with it. Because just laughter, Jude, in itself is a gift. When you make another person laugh, that's a gift. It doesn't have to be an audience. So stop being fearful of comedy. Mm-hmm. And she explained it and all this. And I got back home and I hadn't done a stand-up gig for 10 years. And I got an email saying, you don't know me, but I've got your name. Will you come and do a stand-up comedy set? So I was gutted. I was like, no, but typed yes. Responded, yeah, and went and did this gig um, in a field with a load of hippies who all knew what ayahuasca was. So I was able to do this, yeah, it's so <laughs> real. So I was able to do this great little gig, you know, and uh, yeah, so things like that uh, aligned. And then I got this job come through, an acting job, and I thought, oh, here's a bit of change. Here's a bit of change. Okay. So I went along to just Sheffield in the UK doing the acting job. And I loved the rehearsal and I loved problem solving in the rehearsal. And then the thought of doing the same thing every night, the same play, the same words. I was so disappointed because my comma had gone further away from me. And then when I realized I was going to have to do this play every single night, then back came this feeling of sitting on a comma, this realization is like, oh, shit, this isn't what I want to do either. Mm. You know, like everything I thought that I was. And then it's this thing, isn't it? This isn't what I want to do. This thing of doing and doing and doing. This, this attachment to us of our job. Mm. This is what life is about, what we do. That, that this was the moment of the big change room because in the story, my character dies of stomach cancer and they brought in a brilliant movement coach and she went through with me the symptoms and how I'd move and the reflux and all this. And it was fascinating. And we finished, it was Friday, and my mum and dad didn't live far from where I was. And so I went home to see them. And I got home and my dad was doing all the movements that I'd been taught. And I just knew he wasn't well, you know, and I always lose me, Paul. And um, I said to him, Mom, I don't think dad's well. And she said, no, we, we know he isn't. 
And I said, Mum, I think it could be cancer. And, you know, there was a bit of bewilderment with that. There was sort of siblings who thought I was very dramatic, which I am. And they said, he's got, you know, even if we're going for a test next week of, of various stuff. And yeah, he had a tumour in, mm. in his tummy and his stomach. So everything shifted in that moment. I was doing a play. We were going on tour. And my dad was given four weeks to live. And that was it. I just, I just stepped off everything and said, I just know I need to be here with him. And I turned the play down. Someone else had to take my part. They went on tour without me. I went back to London. It was this virus that had got out of Wuhan and Italy were being affected by it. And they were sort of talking about this shutting down. Like that's, I just remember it vaguely like that. Like, is there a chance that this virus could come here? Like, I don't think so, but now it's hit Spain. And I was just like, I'm going to go and pack up in London and I'm going to leave London. So I drove down to London and I put my life into eight boxes. Like I had no furniture, right? Like I've just rented for <laughs> two years and I am someone who gets rid of stuff. And it was these eight small boxes that just put, I put in my little car. I mean, it's a tiny car, it's a little Nissan Micra. And I drove back from London to Warrington near Liverpool and that was it. I'm like, this is it. I am going to the first place. Mm. And it just was the most, he didn't, he, he lasted nine weeks. He went over the four and he was just amazing. And I let go of everything. What my employment was, it didn't matter. I had started a relationship and we'd only been together six months um, by this point and I found out I was pregnant. Wow. So, right? So, I was just like, what? <laughs> so, Everything, everything just changed, turned. It's like my world just went, okay. It's like the universe just said, okay, so you, you know that change you were hungry for? Yeah. Here we go. Hold on. Here it was. Yeah. Let me step in for just a moment. I want to, sure. first of all, acknowledge you for, you know, sharing this. I mean, like, obviously in talking with you, I can see, you know, there's parts of this that are still very very sensitive for you and very touching for you. And I want to acknowledge that. And what a journey, you know, this sitting on a comma of craving change and not knowing where <laughs> you needed to be or wanted to be. And yet you tried some things and each of those things led to another thing. And as you told the story, you could kind of see a thread, you know, these random disparate things. I'm, you know, I'm going to go ahead and do the stand-up comedy gig. And it ended up being to a bunch of hippies who all knew ayahuasca, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and then I get this play and, and I learned how to portray a character who's ill. And then I see that in one of my loved ones. And yeah, this interesting dynamic. So rather than me try to summarize that, I mean, our, our next question is, 
you know, what did you learn about yourself I thought I'm through a this experience? I'm a brilliant nurse. Mm. I really learned that about myself. My sister is a Macmillan nurse, which is cancer nurse. Mm-hmm. She was stunned by uh, my skills as a nurse, as looking after my dad. It sounds really boastful, that, but it, I think it's the work of, you know, the compassion and the gentleness and the positivity and finding those moments of laughter. Mm. And it goes into it all. And, you know, all the searching I was doing, and then there was just such joy in watching my dad be able to eat. Mm. And like him get a tiny piece of tomato and taste it and make me laugh. And, you know, because he couldn't hold anything down. Mm-hmm. So for a moment, he'd enjoy the little tomato. I like, that was, that was just the beauty of that moment. Like, and everything went into moment by moment. And of course, anyone who has nursed someone will know how utterly painful it is. But it is held in such beauty as well. Mm. And there was a wonderful kind of heads up from ayahuasca because they showed me today. I say it because it was like a lot of spirits were talking to me and guided me on this journey and said, come with us, let's show you this. And they showed me my dad dying. And I said, why are you showing me this? And they said, because he is going to go soon. So you knew this before you even knew this. Well, the thing is, well, yeah, but I mean, you, you can't take everything you see as true, with, you know, mm-hmm. with ayahuasca. Yeah, I'd seen a difference in my dad in, in his health. So I thought it was maybe my subconscious sort of taking that a little bit further. But they showed me him like a uh, prisoner of war, thin, and told me to hold his hand. And I tried to hold his hand, but his fingers were so thin that they fell through mine, they slipped through, and he was this prisoner of war thinness, and that is exactly how he died. And that that is what we watched. Mm. You know, the body starve, but then you saw this vivacious spirit throughout that. And, you know, when Dad knew he was... He was going, and you have to sit with someone. And I, I just remember my sister saying, well, what would we do without you? And because we couldn't imagine what we'd do without you. And he said, go big. Go big. Make it all bigger. Mm. And I just thought, that's it, isn't it? Make it feel bigger. Reach out bigger, connect bigger. Mm. If you've got a crap job, do it bigger. You know? Yeah. And it changed everything. His his death, of course, changed everything. It was and he died two weeks before lockdown. Wow. So we had this amazing funeral where the sign language interpreter, lovely child, um, was signing from a brother. And she was like, I won't give you a hug because I've just been to Italy. So it was like, oh wow! <laughs> so you know, some people didn't want to shake the hands, peace be with you. And I was like, everyone's taking this a bit far. Like, you know? mm, we look um, at all this in retrospect. I know, right? isn't it? Yeah. It's interesting. But we were able to have this wonderful uh, send off, and two hundred people turned up 
And my sister and I did Dad's eulogy. And that was an honour, you know. And I remember sitting there and I was looking down as my sister did her speech. And my cousin said to me, I looked across at you, Jude, and I just thought there's no way she's going to be able to do this. And I was like in a kind of trance. And then I got in, I stood up, and I just felt like him say, suck it to them, Jude. Mm. You know, like I just mm-hmm. felt him with me, his energy, his spirit, his like, oh, it was it was a really wonderful thing to do, to be able to do, to talk about him. And then I've been able to tell him just before he died that he was going to be a granddad again. Mm. And I just whispered it to him. And I just said, if I can be just a tiny, tiny fraction of the parent that you've been to me, then I'll know I'll be okay. And he gave this beautiful sound and this smile because he was fading so much then. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and then the funeral happened and then lockdown. And I was pregnant. So I stayed with my mom. And I'd seen this baby during ayahuasca. <laughs> And I'd held this baby and I'd got quite distressed about it because I didn't know whose it was. Like there were things that happened in that, in those journeys. So it was a bit like, oh, a baby, I was shown this as well. Oh, okay. And I had this really deep down knowing that this was meant to be like Mm. this deep, deep feeling. And I'd got I got a bit scared and um, I just thought, well, my age, I'm going to be 41 and I could miscarry. What if I'm really attached and I lose this baby and like, I'm meant to learn? Maybe that's why in the iOS school I was trying to give the baby away because it's not going to be mine. Mm-hmm. And I went for this walk and I said, right, okay, team of light. The spirits that I'd seen. If I, if everything is going to be okay, show me a pink elephant. Choose something that doesn't exist. So I didn't hadn't told my brothers and sisters that I was pregnant. I told my mom, who just blew me away with her reaction. I was so frightened because she's Catholic. No one had a baby out of matrimony, out of mm-hmm. marriage in our family ever, like in the years and years of the family, that's how it was. And here I was, 40, knocked up. They'd never met Chris. Dad had been so ill. And I I knelt down next to her and I said, I'm about to tell you something that's going to make you really disappointed in me. And she just, I said, she looked at me, she said, darling, what is it? And I said, mom, I'm pregnant. And she just took my face in her hands and she just looked at me and she just said, I could not love you more. Mm. And she said, you have so much love to give. And as one soul departs, another arrives. So that had been just this just extraordinary moment between me and my mom. And then I sat with my, my brother and he was saying, do you know you've been looking after dad and everything? What have you been doing for work? I mean, you've left London now. You're going to be like, what What are you going to do? You are in a mess. I mean, 
really look at what is going on here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I burst out crying because he voiced all my inner fear. And I just said, I'm pregnant. And he looked like I was 12 years old telling him that, like a teenager. Like he just looked. And I said, don't worry, mom knows. And he gave me a hug. And I said, I'm really scared. And he said, don't be scared because it's the most amazing thing that will happen. And he told the story of the night his uh, daughter was born. And it led to this moment where he said, his wife had taken a funny turn. And he said, and I walked into the room and she woke up and I was holding the baby. And Emma turned to me and said, all the elephants are pink. And I looked at him and I said, is that what she said? And he said, what? I said, did Emma say, when you walked in the room holding the did, did Emma say, all the elephants are pink? I mean, no. She said, she said something about work or something like, we missed the train. And I said, so why did you say, all the elephants are pink? And he said, I don't know. But it wasn't, and I was just, I sat there with this, like, deep love running through my veins because it was like, I'd asked, there was a pink elephant. Mm -hmm. And my team had said, Jude, darling, all the elephants are pink. Mm. This is how okay this is going to be. And we went into lockdown. I didn't leave my mom. It was very hard because my tummy, the baby was growing, and Chris and I were separated. So we ran into the woods one day to meet. <laughs> we had this meeting in the woods where we held each other, like, because he said, I said, we can't do it, we can't do it. And Chris said, what do we want to tell our son? We were born in lockdown. Do we want to say we went with the rules and we didn't see each other? And he said, or oh, do we want to say that we were in love and we ran into the woods? And I said, yeah, okay, I'll meet you in the woods. <laughs> so we, uh, and I'm so glad we did because, the, you know, all the politicians were meeting, having parties in, mm -hmm. in our country, mm -hmm. like with big drama, party gate. So they weren't following the rules at all. They were just telling us to. So I'm so glad we did that. Yeah, and then when my waters broke, they wouldn't let Chris in. So they would only allow my mum in because she dropped me off. And that turned out, you know, there was a moment of sadness with that. And then there was just, no, this is absolutely meant to be. It's mm -hmm. my mum with me. Mm -hmm. And then I gave, you know, turned into an emergency C-section. Again, you can go into that. Oh, this isn't what I planned. Well, I just have this ability now, I think, after the experience of losing that, of just handing yourself over a little bit, and there goes your plans again. Mm -hmm. That's okay. So there's a new plan here that I need to get on board with. Yeah. And like he was, no one was pulled out of my tummy. Ten people in the room, doctors and nurses, all cheered. It was a beautiful moment. And they gave him to me, and I called him Noah David Jackson. So David after my dad. Mm. And he was just this like bundle of healing love for us all. Yeah. That's beautiful. And and in your story, and I'm sure the story doesn't end, right? I mean, it, all of our stories are ongoing until they're not. But what I hear is this point where you felt stuck and you didn't know where and weren't meeting all the expectations. You tried some things and 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 came to this other place entirely different than what you could have imagined and different reactions to your life circumstances than what you would have expected. And, and yet, you know, even down to your mother being okay with you being mm. pregnant with a child, 
how much of that was even a factor of the journey you'd been on and where you all were, right? Like timing, how timing plays. If it had been two years earlier, would the reaction have been different? How how did that series of events and circumstances and losses change other people's perceptions of you and beliefs of life and so forth? I, I don't know. And there's no mystery, no magic, and and you can tell us, but it just seems like so much of that too was an element of timing as well. The timing, seriously, Paul. <laughs> like then the jobs. I was meant to be going to Japan to work. I was meant to do everything went online. This thing called Zoom mm-hmm. was here, so I would I I. I was sitting in my mom's house, getting pregnant, one more, one more, getting bigger and bigger. And I was able to sit and work, just sit down and sign and work. And I raised the deposit for a house. Chris could sell his house. I could get my deposit. We put it together and we got ourselves this lovely little house. I was just in London going, oh, I'm never going to get out of the house. In okay, so I'm not going to be a homeowner. Okay. I'm never going to, that's the matter anyway. And now look at you. It's like everything, everything in such a short space of time just changed and I lost and I gained. It seems part of the message you're sending here is that when you are sitting on a comma, you may not even be able to imagine what getting off the comma looks like. We put so much energy and effort into trying trying to get off the comma, and you may not even be capable of imagining it oh, at, the, at the present. That is exactly it. Mm-hmm. For anyone right now sitting on a comma, you have no idea. Mm-hmm. You have no idea. And everything you think it's going to look like, it probably isn't. And I don't mean that in a scary way. But I just had so much emphasis on what I was going to be and... Like, where's this career thing? And, yeah. you know, I'm meant to be. And actually now, oh, just the tiny little things at the moment. Like, I've had my mom staying with me this week. She's not been well. And I bought these peonies, these flowers. And we just talk about the flowers. You know, we're just like, mm-hmm. oh, look at the peonies. But it's the most simple things. Yeah. You know, like that instead of, you know, of course, there's the worries of what is happening right now in the world. and. The cost of living in this country right now, it, uh, I'm sure you're experiencing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. similar circumstances in the States. And those things are there, but the emphasis of that is much less for me now. Yeah. Well, you're, you're kind of already answering the, the fourth question, which is what has changed for you as a result of sitting on this comma? My entire life. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> she says with a grin that our listeners won't be able to see. Yeah. You, you, you literally life. just, you just lit up, you grinned, you smiled, you laughed, your, your yeah. cheeks got shiny. I mean, like you lit up when you answered that. Yeah. Like it did. It did my entire life. This is not a thing of saying, go and do ayahuasca. I, w- I really wouldn't. It is not for the faint hearted. But what are you well, saying? You're saying I'm not necessarily endorsing that everybody needs to go to a mountaintop and, and drink no, uh, mind-altering substance. But what are you saying? Follow the signs. Mm. When I say ayahuasca was calling me, even though that wasn't the change, I do think it did prepare me for losing my dad in a way, though. Sounds like it prepared you for a lot of things. Yeah, there was something I knew in that. Was it like a, okay... 
I kind of knew how sick he was going to look at the end. So I had that preparation. You're, you're kind of telling the story, uh, telling a story that happened to you in the past. And it sounds like it's not entirely past. The last question is, what does getting off the comma look like for you? Oh, you know it's like, a, it's a quietness. So the racing thoughts and measuring yourself and comparing and everything being out of reach or just over there. And if I could just only, and there's a silence. There's a silence. I feel that my comma was very painful. Just wanted this massive change. Didn't have a clue about what I wanted, but certain things would be important, like money and yeah, and, and, and getting off the comma now is, um, do you know how people think love is, people have an idea of love being like, woo, harps, little cupids playing harps, it's excitement and fireworks and wow. I, the movies paint it like that, but I think it's such a quiet knowing. Mm. Real love is so quiet. And it, and it sits still inside you and it rises up and it floats down, you know, and like the sea levels, you know, and that's what getting off the comma looks like for me now. Mm. I have the day to day where my sea level like goes down and I'm like, oh no, but then it's those tiny little things, those, those moments of connection that just, it rises up in me. Just at one the other day, I went to the supermarket and I put my trolley, that you, you call it a car, a trolley car, mm-hmm. car, yeah. So I put my car back and got my little token out. And this guy comes up, this little old man behind me, and he says, hey, love, is that one any good? I said, oh, it was a dream. So it's got your name written all over it. He said, I can't wait. So we just had this lovely little stupid exchange about this car and the pair of us were just grinning mm. and that for me now is off the comma stuff yeah well it's not really about the card at all is it no we he in that moment wanted to connect yeah and you said and right at the beginning back. right at the beginning you said your intention was connection yeah Jude, as we wrap it up, uh, as we always have to, unfortunately, I, I just love this work because I love the stories. So what would be, from what you've shared with us, I know mm-hmm. it's your story, but what insights would you say you have from just sharing the story with all of us today? The beauty lies in the tiniest things. Mm. Life, the very, my dad would say, life is a gift. That's why people fight for it. and. It's find those, the, those gifts are around us all the time and the signs are around us all the time. It's not things that you connect with. Mm. It's not things, purchases that you connect with. It's just the little sparks of life when the universe just gives you a little kiss on the cheek. It's that. You're, you're just grinning ear to ear right now. I wish everybody could see you. Oh, am I? What what would you like to acknowledge yourself for right now? Acknowledge myself for mm-hmm. doing this podcast because I was really nervous. And I thought when I, I arrived a bit earlier, you were late. And I thought, okay, so he'll cancel and that's fine. 
<laughs> That's all right, because I don't think I've got the hang of it anyway. So I'll just say I'm probably not the right person to do this. Mm. Um, and I'm really, you did it. Yeah, and I'm really glad I did it. And I've just had a, a lovely conversation. And I think whenever, it's a lovely thing to be able to talk about my dad. Yeah, and I can tell. Yeah, I can see how important it's lovely. he was to you. Yeah, it's lovely to talk about him. Yeah. And he would definitely have had a podcast if, he, if, he, if it was his time now, you know. That was yeah. the kind of person he was. Well, that sounds like a really cool thought for you to be able to imagine, you know, when you go off into your, you know, your, your solitary space and fantasize and dream and think about things that are a possibility. Like what would his podcast have been like, you know, yeah. what would have been his guests? What would he have talked about? So Jude, thank you so much for being on the episode today and for sharing your stories. You, you are a storyteller. I think you proved that out. You oh. promised us and then you proved it. I, I love hearing the stories and I love watching you tell the story. Uh, that's yeah. the one piece that I think our listeners are going to miss, but they'll imagine that in their own ways, in their own minds as they're listening. And um, thank you for your bravery and for telling the stories in such a true and, and raw way, like letting the emotion come through. We, we all got to, to be there with you on that journey. That's what life thank is you. about. Yeah. Thank you so much. So Thank you. Have a wonderful week. And if you'd like to learn more about Jude and find her online, you can find her on Instagram at woman without wine. And you can find a link to her profile in the show notes. Jude would also like to acknowledge another organization that matters to her and invites you to consider supporting them and or sharing their message. So Jude is today boosting and supporting the Echo Collective, and that's Echo, E-K-H-O Collective, which is an Earthkind holistic offerings business based in the UK. And they provide a space that brings people together to connect and share the beauty of the natural world through arts, heritage crafts, well-being, and therapeutic horticulture. So you can learn a little bit more about that organization that's important to Jude in the show notes. Well, that was powerful work from a powerful human. I invite you to think about what you learned from this conversation, and I encourage you to write it down. I can't tell you how magical it can be to set aside your expectations and let the thoughts flow out of your head and onto paper. Freestyle journaling has been a powerful practice in my life. You never know what you might discover about yourself. Thank you for listening to this episode of Off The Comma. Follow me on social media at Off The Comma. And be sure to like this episode and follow the podcast. If you were moved by today's conversation, pass it along to someone you care about. As always, keep noticing. We'll see you next time.